across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. He's a character that we would all say is really very famous. The world knows who Shaka Zulu is. But the question is, do we really know who Shaka Zulu is? So we're going to be schooled a little bit today on who the legendary Shaka Zulu is. My guest this afternoon is Professor Skumbuz Omgati, who is a head of English department at the University of Johannesburg. Prof, thank you so much for joining us. Good afternoon. Hi, thank you. And thank to your listeners. Good afternoon. One of the things that we, we've decided on this particular show to do is to humble ourselves a little and not think we know it all. Just because a name has been thrown around for centuries and decades doesn't mean that we know it. And so we, we felt we need to also educate ourselves, be schooled a little bit on this massive character called Shaka Zulu. If you had to introduce him to us, how would you do that? Well, it would be difficult, of course, to introduce uh, someone who has been uh, written about, spoken about uh, so much. Um, you have your academic writing on Shaga Zulu. You have your uh, professional history uh, by professional historians. You have um, Shaga Zulu appearing in uh, creative literature. You have Shaga Zulu appearing uh, in film, uh, in television series, uh, in um, a number of languages. Uh, you have Shaga in Isizulu, uh, for example, in the oral tradition, uh, stories passed down from generation to generation. But you also have Shaga uh, in French. Um, uh, you have Shaga um, in uh, in images, uh, in, in, in pictures, in monuments. Um, you have uh, the name uh, associated with an airport, associated with, um, uh, you know, with all sorts of visual images. So Shaga um, exists both in uh, in in the scholarship of history, but also uh, in uh, in creative literature, including uh, oral literature. Uh, he also exists uh, in the archives. He also exists uh, in uh, his izibongo or praise and um, or praises. Uh, and so they. There are many traditions, if I may put it that way, uh, which have sought to uh, understand uh, this um, 19th century uh, Zulu king uh, who is credited with uh, uniting uh, the Zulu nation, which uh, prior to uh, his uh, kingdom uh, was made up of uh, disparate clans, uh, warring clans, uh, which he united, and of course, uh, through his own uh, um, uh, warrior uh, status um, into a nation that is today uh, called uh, the Zulu Nation. So if I were to introduce uh, uh, Shaga, I would uh, not be able to introduce him uh, as one person. I'd be able to introduce him as a number of uh, images uh, that have come down to 
come down to us uh, via a number of media, um, as I said, including uh, the scholarship of Shaga, including uh, popular history, including uh, popular fiction, uh, professional history, uh, and a whole image system that has clustered around uh, this uh, particular figure um, uh, in history. Could, could we touch a little on his background, his childhood, his parents? Because I think that forms also quite a big narrative on, on who he is. Yes, and I think that um, there is a common thread in the stories that have been told about uh, his birth um, um, out of wedlock, um, a birth um, uh, that was um, uh, considered uh, at first um, uh, a false alarm, the pregnancy of uh, of his mother, uh, uh, who later became uh, the queen mother, um, uh, Nandi, uh, was supposed to be uh, something called a shaga, which was an illness that caused uh, a woman's stomach to swell, uh, hence his name, shaga. So when his mother fell pregnant out of wedlock, it was thought that um, she had uh, this um, illness called uh, ishaka. Um, that she wasn't really pregnant. And of course, um, the pregnancy uh, in some ways was uh, seen as a scandal because it had it had taken place uh, out of wedlock. Sanzanga Kona, uh, the prince at the time, uh, got um, involved in a sexual relationship uh, with uh, Nandi, uh, which was against tradition. Uh, tradition uh, did allow uh, physical contact uh, between men and women, but not in a sexual way, uh, but in other ways um, which were meant to, well, still maintain intimacy, but without sexual intercourse. But uh, it, according to you know the narratives, uh, Prince Sanzangakona and Nandi crossed the line, and uh, Nandi fell pregnant, and the pregnancy uh, was hushed up or denied, uh, whichever uh, version you follow, uh, and uh, it was called a an illness uh, that was uh, rampant at the time. And Shaga's name uh, is is said to have come from that. Uh, denial of Nandi's pregnancy. So when uh, the pregnancy become, became apparent um, uh, and, and no one could deny it, uh, it is said that Senzangakona rejected uh, Nandi uh, and instead uh, married um, elsewhere. Uh, and so Nandi became uh, this rejected uh, um, woman uh, whose child was also seen as an illegitimate child and uh, was persecuted. Both Nandi and, um, and Shaga were persecuted in the house uh, of, um, of Senzangakona and, and which led um, to their exile. Uh, and, and their exile uh, was, as it is said in historical records, uh, fairly comfortable because uh, it was at Nandi's relatives that uh, they went into exile. Uh, but Shaga, as uh, 
historical records uh, point out, and even uh, popular fiction and the oral tradition, uh, never forgot about uh, the persecution of his mother and of himself uh, at the royal uh, place uh, of Prince Senzangakona. So he harbored, as it is said, uh, that resentment, that grudge against his father, whom he saw as, uh, well, uh, not a father, and an absentee father uh, in modern terms, uh, but also uh, what grated uh, for Shaga was the rejection of his mother. And he grew attached to his mother because he saw that his mother had suffered uh, great indignities uh, while at, uh, at the royal house um, where Senzangakona uh, grew up. And of course, Senzangakona had sisters, one of whom was Mkabai, who uh, became uh, what you could call a kingmaker uh, in, in, in the Zulu uh, royal household uh, in, in the 19th century. But um, Shaga, um, after the exile, Shaga um, is said to have uh, during one of his wanderings, met uh, the prince of the Mtetwa clan, Dingiswayo, who had been also persecuted um, at his um, at his own home and had uh, been almost killed. And Shaga uh, came upon him uh, while he was injured and hiding from his brother who had almost killed him. And of course, we are talking about a time of rivalries, of family sibling rivalries. We are talking about a time uh, of warrior nations where power was really in, it was really vested in uh, who could seize it uh, through arms, uh, through violence, uh, especially if um, two brothers were vying for the same for the same power within the same household. Uh, so uh, Dingiswayo um, was was helped um, uh, to health by uh, Shaga. It is said uh, after Shaga encountered him injured and hiding from uh, from uh, near death, really. And Shaga uh, became friends with Dingiswayo. At least Dingiswayo never forgot him. Uh, so that um, uh, later, uh, when uh, Dingiswayo was murdered uh, by uh, Zwide, the, the, the prince uh, of the Ngumalo clan, uh, at the insistence of Zwide's uh, mother, Queen Mother Tombazi. Uh, Shaga inherited uh, Dingiswayo's army. Uh, Dingiswayo had been beheaded, had been lured to, uh, to Zwide's, um, to Zwide's uh, uh, palace and and Tombazi had been behind it historically. She is the person who really wielded power behind the, the Zwide throne. And so the, after the death of, of Tingiswayo uh, at Zwide's um, uh, kingdom uh, by beheading, uh, Shaga inherited Zwide's army, uh, went back, to, well, trained it, uh, uh, trained it to use uh, different methods of fighting, including the short spear. And uh, after which he went back to to Zululand uh, to depose the king that had been uh, chosen, Sikujana. Prof, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you to just pause for a second for us. I mean, we're really loving the lecture, but we need to take a quick break. And I'm also going to open up the lines 011-714-2006. You can also send in your questions or comments on 0614-104-107. Let's have the conversation. WhatsApp voice notes on 0614-104-107. All right. Thank you so much for staying with us. As I said, we are more than welcome to take 
your calls, your questions, your comments on a lecture being given by Professor Skumbuzo Mgati, who is uh, taking us through really uh, behind the giant that is Shaka Zulu. What we think we know, what we may learn today, um, we're all ears and we're all here humbling ourselves before his feet to try and get some more knowledge on this man that really shaped a, a huge part of who we are as South Africans. Prof, thank you so much for staying with us and we continue our conversation with you where you were just starting to outline how Shaka became um, a more of a, uh, you know, who, who started having some allies, who started having uh, relationships that built him as the major king that we know him to be today. Yes. Uh, so uh, when Shaga uh, returned to uh, to Guazulu, uh, which was his uh, which was his uh, place of birth, uh, which was uh, to become his domain, uh, it is said that he brought with him uh, an army that he had inherited uh, from uh, the Mteto clan uh, from Dingiswayo, an army that he had trained um, in uh, new ways of fighting. Uh, which included um, the short spear for close combat. He had been very critical of the long spear, which was thrown like a javelin. Uh, and he had um, condemned the type of war that um, didn't... Uh, bear fruit in his view, uh, fruit, of course, being victory uh, and annexation of smaller clans. So, Prof, uh, the, the strategy of, of changing the style of warfare, what, what would have informed him? Uh, well, what uh, Shaga thought was um, combat, that is, um, fighting to defeat because fighting really had been before then had been about boasting you know where the enemy would throw all its spears and um, uh, the adversary would have all those spears which would lead the enemy to run away ah. uh, and the uh, war to end but for Shaga that wasn't a war um, for him a war had to to have results, and those results would have. Okay, we, we're going to try and reconnect that line because we, we don't want to lose uh, this particular portion of this conversation. While we do that, I'm going to bring in quickly William, who's calling us from the Free State. William, thank you so much for calling. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Good afternoon, uh, uh, Pamela. Yes, yes. Welcome to the yes, show. Well, welcome yes, to the show. Uh, Go no, ahead. This is Thank you, thank you, ma'am. No, I know the history of the Zulu nation. It always started uh, at King Shaka, but I'm in particularly interested. Who was the father of Century Corner? Is there a record to, to tell us who or what was happening before Century Corner? Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, William, for that question, Prof. Ngati. Uh, yes, if you go back to the history before Senzangakona, you would be reading about. Oh, are we, are we, are we now suddenly being failed by technology at a point like this? Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. 
Well, we continue our conversation with Professor uh, Sikumbuzo Mgati, who is the head of English department at the University of Johannesburg. We're talking King Shaka Zulu, and uh, we're taking your calls on 011-714-2006. Prof, I hope we are on a better line now. Thank you so much for staying with us. Welcome back. Yes, I can hear you well. So, we, we, you know, the caller that had come through, William, was asking if you can just maybe take us back to Shaka's father, Osenzanga Korn. Right, and uh, the caller was also interested in uh, the period before Senzanga Kona and before uh, Shaga's time. Uh, so I was saying that um, uh, if you go back in history, you will find uh, a lot of... Uh, a lot of records about uh, Shaga's own lineage uh, and, of course, how the lineage itself was not always consistent. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, uh, kings had uh, many wives, and so you'd find that uh, one uh, king uh, comes from uh, what is called a a smaller household of a minor wife at the time, in the language of the time, and another comes from uh, a major household as the first wife. Uh, so before uh, Shaga's time, there was uh, a prince uh, who became king, Senzanga Kona, uh, uh, whose uh, life uh, was, as I have tried to outline uh, concerning Shaga uh, himself, whose life was uh, like the life of other kings before him. He had, uh, uh, he was, he, w- he was polygamous, and uh, and of course the feuds between the wives as to who would succeed uh, Senzanga Kona as as king uh, led to, uh, as the historical records uh, would show, uh, and of course there will all always be disputes uh, as to which narrative is fact and which is uh, not. Uh, but uh, a common thread, as I said, exists in the, in, in the way in which uh, Shaga's story has been told. Uh, so um, it is uh, said that Senzanga Kona uh, uh, was... Uh, persuaded, if you like, or strong-armed, whichever way you look at it, uh, to choose someone else in place of Shaga, to choose a a man, Sikujana, from a smaller or a minor household to take over the throne after Senzanga Kona's death, which is what happened. And on Shaga's return, Sikujana was was uh, was assassinated Let's, by uh, by Shaga. Uh, so it. before Shaga, uh, Senzanga Kona uh, was uh, the king. Mm. Let's break it there, Prof, so that we can take a quick break with yes. the headlines, and we'll continue this conversation. Sure. And we do welcome more of your calls on 011-714-206. Thank you so much um, for your patience. It's just gone one thirty. You're listening to Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. We continue our conversation with Professor Skumbuzo Mgati, a head of English department at the University of uh, Johannesburg. And uh, it's a lecture on King Shagazulu, as uh, uh, one of the callers called in earlier asking, you know, what was behind Shaka's father? Who was he and what was his story? As Prof uh, continues to give us that lecture. Prof, over to you. We, we, we are all ears. Thank you again. Uh, 
Well, Shaka's father was Senzangakona, and Senzangakona's father was Jama. So Senzangakona was called uh, Senzangakona Gajama, uh, and um, Shaga um, was uh, Shaga Gasenzangakona. And one goes back uh, through the lineage uh, of Shaga and finds there uh, that, um, you know, the kings before him uh, belonged to a very different uh, a system, uh, a clan system in which um, wars were not uh, fought uh, for uh, for annexation, as it were, for total uh, defeat, mm-hmm. um, but were fought in the traditional style uh, of, um, well, winning, if you like, uh, the day mm-hmm. uh, and not winning uh, the entire war. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, before Shaga, uh, the Zulu kings uh, were, well, the same as the other kings of other clans. And one would talk about Dingiswai, one would talk about uh, the kings of the Zuides, uh, you know, the kings of the Shubis, and so on. All the clans that Shaga uh, uh, eventually annexed uh, to his own kingdom. Uh, and so... Uh, Shaka's father, Senzangakona, was a monarch, and uh, he was surrounded by uh, by his uh, family half sisters, um, uh, Mkabai in particular, who became uh, famous. And uh, his reign uh, has been considered to have been benign, uh, and one would never really know exactly if uh, what is said about his uh, uh, interest in uh, in in women. Uh, is is uh, is true, but uh, yes, his reign was um, not as eventful, if I may put mm. it that way, as that of his son Shaga. The, the the idea, as you mentioned a little bit earlier on, that Shaka felt that it was necessary to win, you know, not not to just kind of boast, as you said. Yes. Um, that that sort of um, I suppose ambition. Yes. One would argue has a lot to do with, as you said, maybe his relationship with his father, that he had something to prove, didn't he? Uh, exactly. I mean, uh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, uh, historians may differ as to the extent of his uh, resentment of his father. Mm-hmm. Uh, some may exaggerate this resentment and others may see it in the context of uh, uh, of, of contests mm-hmm. within uh, 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 royal households. Uh, but uh, there is, I think, truth in that Shaga uh, harbored uh, resentment uh, for his father and for the way in which uh, he and his mother were treated. Uh, and uh, one could psychologize him uh, in many different ways, but uh, there is a historical narrative about Shaga's uh, persecution, including, of course, the persecution of his mother. And so Shaga uh, would have obviously vowed to uh, lead a very different life, uh, but also a very different kingdom, uh, given uh, his ambitions uh, in exile uh, and on his return as well. Hmm. We've got a voice note coming through. Prof, let's just take a listen. Okay. Yumelo, Mpetalo, Mpumala. My question is, what is real Shaga's surname? Because it seems like Senzangakona, the father of Shaga, his surname is not Zulu, and Senzangakona is the son of Chama. All right, Prof. 
it's it's a contested conversation, isn't it, about the the lineage <laughs> and names that remain with people and how people move away also from their own names that they come from and and how those are handed down. Yes, and I think it it will always remain a contested question mm. because yes, I think uh, the the. You know, the speaker is, is correct in asking uh, where the surname Zulu comes from mm. and if that surname was indeed uh, Shaga's surname as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Zulu uh, has been uh, said to have come from um, a reference to uh, the size of the nation that Shaga was building. Uh, in other words, Inganga uh, Zulu or it is uh, uh, as big as the heavens. But if you go back to a book that was written in the 1930s, if not before then, I'm not so sure now, but by uh, someone uh, called uh, Magema Fuse Magwaza, uh, and it's called The Black People and Whence They Came, he says uh, you know, there was no such surname as Zulu, that in fact, the people who are called Zulus today were called Ufenulwenja at some point uh, uh, before then. Uh, and he outlines, uh, you know, the history of uh, the different clans, uh, you know, so-and-so, Piquet, so-and-so, and so on. And the names uh, like Malandela, like Jama, become more prominent than a surname. In other words, uh, the idea idea of a name and a surname uh, is probably of recent provenance Mm -hmm. uh, and not uh, something that was considered important uh, at the time that Shaga uh, ruled and uh, at the time before his reign. Mm -hmm. uh, It was the name of uh, the person who begat the other uh, that was more important so that Malandela, Jama, Shaga, uh, Dingane and so on were more uh, uh, used than uh, a surname uh, such as Zulu, for example. So uh, I would certainly not say uh, for certain uh, where this surname, if we call it a surname or a last mm. name, came from. Uh, but there are narratives about uh, you know how things were before. Uh, the surname uh, consolidated itself into uh, into a reference, mm-hmm. uh, and I would imagine that it, it was a reference before it became a surname. Mm. Let's take a quick break, and we'll take more of your questions on 011-714-2006 or on WhatsApp four zero six one four one zero four one zero seven. SAFM values your views. Be an active citizen. Thank you so much for staying with us. So we're in conversation with Professor Skumbuzo Mgati, who is a uh, head of English department at the University of Johannesburg. And we are t- discussing um, a very prominent name, Shaka Zule. Now we're going to get into that, right? The name itself, because one of you just sent uh, a voice note asking about name. And Prof, I want to just bring you in here. Just the significance and the differences um, of, of how people's names came to be. So you spoke even earlier about how the name Shaga came of a particular reference to an incident. And one would argue that it would go without saying that even last names were similar. So this idea that it is Pimelo Mutine and it cannot change was not necessarily how people identified themselves. It's more something around 
an era, an event, and and how one, I suppose, is described. I don't I don't know if I'm making the right connotations there, but but there is something to be said about how it's not strange that he did not go by necessarily Uchama Ushaka. Yes, uh, I think you are right uh, about the way in which names were assigned uh, and, and, and are still assigned among uh, Zulu people and also among African uh, people uh, in Southern Africa and I would imagine uh, in uh, other parts of, of Africa as well. Their names are not uh, proper names if you... If you uh, if you like, uh, like James or John, uh, names are uh, about events. They are related to family uh, issues. Uh, for example, if a child is born at a time of famine, uh, that child's name would uh, carry something of that time. Uh, if a child, for example, uh, is born of a family with problems, uh, the, the name of the child would uh, most likely um, make some reference uh, to that uh, event uh, or to that situation. Uh, the names uh, um, also change um, according, to, uh, according to situations, according to changes in a person's life. For example, if you go back to the way in which um, um, uh, people were named uh, in the 19th century, and I would imagine before then, uh, they were named after uh, their either after their clan leader or uh, uh, after someone within uh, the clan itself. So that uh, those who uh, became kings were uh, called by uh, names that reflected their fathers, uh, their fathers, their fathers before them, and so on. So uh, Shaga was Shaga Gasenzangakona, Jama Senzangakona Gajama, and so on. But the names themselves that were given to the children who were born not only within the, re- the royal household, but uh, generally in, uh, in, uh, within the clan, uh, reflected something of their times something of uh, the situations within their families uh, and so on, besides uh, the, the clan names mm. by which they were praised. Absolutely wonderful. Let's take more voice notes for you, Prof. More words from me? No, 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 we're taking some voice notes. All right. I'll take a quick break. I'll be back with those voice notes for you. Good afternoon. Um, is it true that there is a lineage between Shaga Zulu and um, King Goodwill Zolitini. And if there is, how does that come about? And then if there isn't, why such speculations? Thank you, Emmanuel in Boxlock. Professor Mkati, the lineage between Oshaga and uh, the current uh, Zulu king. Uh, there is a, a lineage, um, and that lineage uh, is of descent. Uh, but it is a fraternal uh, lineage. It is not a paternal uh, lineage. Uh, so, yes, there is indeed a lineage. If one traces the history uh, of uh, the current uh, Zulu king back to the Shagan period, one would find that there is a line there which is more, which is fraternal and uh, not paternal. In other words, it doesn't come directly from the king. Okay. Another voice note for you, Prof.? Can the professor tell us, Pamelo, was Shaga's father married to Nandi? And if Shaga is a hero, 
how a hero was he? Because I don't understand this heroism of Shaga by killing people. <laughs> a sign of the times, Prof, you, I'll leave it to you. Uh, yes, uh, could you remind me of the first question? Well, let's just play it back to you because it's got two parts to it. Okay, it has two parts to it, yes. Can the professor tell us, Pamelo, was Shaga's father married to Nandi? And if Shaga is a hero, how a hero was he? Because I don't understand this heroism of Shaga by killing people. Okay, so oh, yes. I think you responded earlier to the fact that he was, um, you know, he was born out of wedlock, but you can elaborate on that. Yes, uh, he was born out of wedlock, but uh, there they is uh, historical evidence, uh, as evidence goes, that Senzangakona uh, uh, did eventually marry uh, Shaga's uh, mother, Nandi, uh, and, and she became the queen mother uh, when Shaga uh, became king. Uh, so one would obviously have to engage with that uh, historical detail, but there is um, an argument uh, that uh, Shaga's mother uh, eventually uh, got married to uh, Shaga's father, um, uh, but uh, she was also uh, said to have uh, been married by someone else before then. And Shaga's heroism, the idea of Shaga's heroism, uh, I think that... Uh, uh, heroism uh, may not be the right term uh, to uh, to describe uh, Shaga and to describe uh, the nature of kingship uh, during his time. We must understand that he came from a time when uh, warrior kings uh, were considered uh, you know, if you like, absolute rulers, not because they didn't consult, uh, they didn't exist within a social system, they didn't exist within uh, a cultural system, but uh, their kingship uh, depended in large part uh, on uh, on their ability to mobilize around them uh, an army that was strong enough to defend not just uh, their kingdom, but also uh, their king mm. uh, against other nations, which uh, were also uh, warrior uh, uh, kingdoms uh, or clans uh, before big kingdoms. So heroism uh, was probably not a term that one would use uh, to describe a, a, a king uh, uh, in the 19th century in Zululand. Uh, I don't know if one could call, for example, Napoleon a hero, uh, but there wasn't uh, the type of individualism that one associates with uh, popular fiction heroes. Uh, it was the duty of the king to mobilize an army uh, uh, around himself uh, to defend uh, the realm uh, and to defend uh, the king uh, from uh, warring plans uh, around him. But there, was, there were also times of peace. It wasn't a time of uh, of you know constant war, I think it would be uh, incorrect to say that uh, you know nineteenth uh, century uh, kingdoms or nineteenth century uh, clan systems were um, uh, were about warring uh, uh, nations or warring uh, clans or warring tribes, whichever name one gives uh, to uh, to those groupings. 
So heroism uh, was perhaps not uh, what the kings pursued as much as uh, the health and safety and security of their own clans and to expand uh, their their domains uh, as further afield as they could. Mm -hmm. Cyril, I see you. Mzi, I see you. I'll be back with you in a short while. At SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. Skumbuz Omgati is my guest. He's a head of English department at the University of Johannesburg. And we are having a conversation, a really a lecture more like uh, on King Shaka Zulu. And we've elaborated quite a, uh, quite a lot on the name itself. Prof, let me just take you back, if you don't mind, just because so many people are sending this question again. And they are asking if you can quickly just recap on the name Shaka itself. I know you've touched on this, but please, for the benefit of those who didn't hear it if you can just elaborate and that on that name please all right um, well the name uh, and you will find this uh, uh, narrative in uh, in in novels about shaga and i know a novel for example like uh, tambam simang's a novel called uh, buzani kumkabai or ask kumkabai kumkabai was uh, shaga's aunt uh, and you will find it uh, in historical records uh, and in popular uh, literature uh, popular visual culture that uh, shaga's name came from uh, a reference to uh, what was thought to be uh, an illness uh, that had infected Nandi. Uh, at the time, it was called uh, Ishaga, or an illness of the, st- the swelling of the stomach. Uh, but of course, Nandi was pregnant. Uh, she didn't have uh, that illness. Uh, but uh, because she had been thought to have had that illness, and it was also a, you know, an attempt to to deny the paternity of the child and uh, the fact of her pregnancy. So because it was thought that she had had that illness uh, rather than, uh, you know, having been pregnant, uh, when it turned out that uh, she was indeed pregnant, uh, that uh, that name or that descriptor, if you like, stuck. And Shaga's birth uh, came along with that uh, uh, with that name. And uh, so he uh, he was then Ishak. Uh, well, Nandi's family said, "Well, you." You denied that Prince uh, uh, Kona had impregnated our daughter, so and you had called her pregnancy Ishaga. So here is your Ishaga mm. that is uh, uh, referring to Shaga, who uh, had been born out of that uh, uh, out of that uh, encounter between uh, Prince Sanzangakona and, and Nandi. Thanks, thanks for revisiting that for us, uh, Professor Cyril. You're calling from Gokstad. Hi. Hi, uh, my name is Cyril Gangadi and I'm a Greek from East Greekland. I would like to ask the gentleman three questions. Uh, one is that, I don't know whether this question was asked already, that Chaka's mother was Nandi. Mm-hmm. Yes, it now, was. Yeah. Yes, I just want to ask the gentleman, was Nandi a descendant of the Khoi or San? Okay. That's one question. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the Chaka and the Zulus came, did they come from north of Limpopo? That's the second question. And the last question is, some years back, on the front page of the Mercury, there was a picture of King Goodwill and uh, uh, Garcia Butanesi. And I think, if I I recall, it was about who is the rightful successor. And uh, when I read the capture, they said they were going to come back and research. Can a gentleman just up with that? Thanks, Cyril. Thanks for that. Prof? 
Uh, right. Uh, well, Nandi's uh, origins, as far as I know, are of uh, Zulu provenance, uh, not of uh, Khoi or San provenance. And I have not encountered a narrative that uh, locates uh, outside of uh, of that clan, uh, outside of the Zulu clan, uh, the meeting between uh, Nandi and Senzangakona uh, happened in uh, Guazulu, and so uh, there is no reference, as far as I know, uh, of a, an external origin uh, that is associated uh, with uh, with Nandi. And the second question was. Uh, could I get that second question again? The second question was the origins of the Zulu people. He's specifically asking if they came the no- from the north of Limpopo. Uh, yes, that is supposed to be the case. In fact, uh, when the when the clans which moved from what is called uh, the central region or the Great Lakes, uh, where the Congo is, uh, when they moved uh, to the south of, of, the, of the continent, uh, they are supposed to have split uh, so that uh, the Sutus ended up where they are, the Zulus uh, moved south. But they moved along, uh, you know, small clan or family uh, uh, clusters rather than national clusters. And uh, it is only when uh, they settled and started uh, claiming territory uh, in the southern parts of, uh, of uh, what is now the African continent uh, that they mobilized uh, as, you know, as clans, as, 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 as bigger groups uh, and uh, joined other uh, clans uh, who would not have been part uh, of the same, say, uh, group uh, before they settled. So uh, settling in southern Africa uh, created a situation uh, that would be common uh, in every form of migration where people settle and begin to uh, develop into something bigger than just the small families or small clans that they would have been before they settled uh, for many reasons, uh, for, you know, protection, uh, for survival, uh, for... uh, you know, claiming a territory. And I, I think that uh, we should also understand that uh, those who moved uh, to the south from Central Africa or from the Great Lakes uh, were uh, part of something before they moved. And when they moved down to uh, the southern tip of Africa, uh, they uh, replicated or copied some of the uh, organizational structures uh, from which they would have come. Uh, so Africa was not really just, a, you know, a... a series of disparate uh, clans uh, who didn't have a social structure or a military structure. So one would have found that uh, the, the, those same structures, military structures, social structures, cultural structures brought uh, different clans together. Shaga's reign was really uh, different only in the sense that he mobilized uh, further uh, uh, than other clans would have mobilized. And, of course, he used, uh, um, he used the army uh, uh, to uh, annex other, uh, other clans and, and territories. Uh, he built uh, what you would call an empire uh, than what would have been uh, the case before, uh, before his Time. Uh, so the origins uh, of the Africans, what 
are called uh, the Bantu uh, uh, people uh, would have been uh, from the north uh, of, well, sorry, not from the north, from uh, the central uh, regions of the continent uh, where one would locate the Congo today. Uh, and the last question was... The, I'm going to ask that we pause, actually, Prof, yes, because sure. there are so many people who are asking uh, many, many other questions. We've run out of time. Um, there is a massive plea to ask you to come back perhaps next week to continue this conversation. I'll give you time to think about it. Maybe we'll talk offline. <laughs> but uh, I really appreciate the time you've given us. It's been really, really fruitful, and we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it was really interesting uh, to talk about uh, something I haven't talked about for a very long time. Uh, and I appreciate the questions as well. I, I think they were illuminating so and challenging. Thank you very much. As Professor Skumbuzam Gati, that conversation will be available as a podcast. He is the head of English department at the University of Johannesburg. That brings us to two o'clock. Utsila Saku with the very latest in SABC News.